It's an unusually cool, cloudy morning in mid-May at the base of Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado Springs. We're here to take a tour of what you might call a forgotten city park, tucked away near Cheyenne Canyon. Where you're walking right now is uh, a social trail. You know, uh, probably 90% of the people I've taken out here have never been here before. This is our guide, Richard Scorman. Scorman is a former vice mayor of Colorado Springs and downtown businessman who lives in the neighborhood. Almost every day for the last two months, he's been leading hikes through this park. It's officially known as Strawberry Hill, but among locals, it's affectionately called Strawberry Fields. Scorman says he's led 86 tours and introduced more than 600 people to the park. It really is a, a stepchild of the city. There's no signs. All the trails are social trails that we'll be walking on. And, uh, and most people who, at the end of it, and I'll ask you the same question, how you feel about it, but most people have said this is a beautiful spot and I didn't know it was here and I wish I had known. Interest in this long-neglected piece of city parkland has exploded in the last few months. It's been the subject of more than a dozen public meetings, myriad news stories, a widely circulated petition, and a fierce debate on social media. On today's hike, four locals have come to see what all the fuss is about. Here's Gene Wheeler, a retiree who, like everyone else on the hike, has never been to Strawberry Fields before. Peaceful, that's the thing I thought of right away. It's so quiet now and pristine. That's what I see. I don't know if that would last, given this proposal that's up for now. The proposal that Wheeler refers to is the reason for this hike and for all the recent interest in the property. It's a proposal that would see the city trade this land to the Broadmoor Hotel, a historic five-star resort owned by billionaire Phil Anschutz, the 108th richest person in the world. And it's stirred a lot of controversy. So this is the worst public process I've ever been involved in. This is Richard Scorman speaking at a recent public meeting about the proposal. Since the plan was unveiled in January, Strawberry Fields has become a rallying cry for people concerned about the fate of public lands in Colorado Springs. Bought by the city in 1885, Strawberry Fields has been publicly owned parkland ever since. Part of the larger North Cheyenne Canyon recreation area, Strawberry Fields is a 189-acre parcel comprising a steep wooded hillside, craggy granite cliffs, and a broad meadow full of tall grasses and wildflowers. Unlike many of the other more popular parks and hiking areas in the foothills west of Colorado Springs, Strawberry Fields has no trailhead, no formal trails, and no signs identifying it. The city parks department's conservation efforts have been largely focused on more popular areas. As a result, fallen trees and deeply eroded gullies are a common sight in the park. Well, you can see where the, uh, the erosion uh, has occurred here, and this is an, an example that you'll see many times throughout the uh, whole property. And, and really, this, this occurred in 2013 and in the floods of 15. Uh, but despite here, the damage, uh, the land is beautiful. Okay, starting looking south towards Will Rogers Shrine. From an overlook at Strawberry Fields, you can see north. everything about the property that locals treasure. There's the sweeping view of the city and the Broadmoor Hotel to the east, the Will Rogers Shrine to the south, and the entrance the to Cheyenne Canyon to the north, and then there's the, the meadow, the so-called jewel of the park, and the epicenter of the roiling debate that has engulfed the city's outdoor community. There's the meadow down below, and uh, beyond that, looking into South Cheyenne Canyon and Seven Falls. In the proposed land swap, the city of Colorado Springs would trade this parkland to the Broadmoor. 
and the Broadmoor hopes to build a small horse stable and a picnic pavilion on part of the meadow. In exchange, the city would get several parcels of land that the Parks Department has been looking to acquire for years. To some, it's a good deal, a way for an underfunded Parks Department to stretch its dollars and do what's best for the entire park system. To others, it's a travesty, a hasty pact with a for-profit enterprise that would rob the public of a priceless asset. You really have to think hard about what you're giving up. And you have to stop and think, are, are we getting something that is worth what we're giving up? And I don't think it is. To hear city officials and community leaders tell it, the controversy surrounding this deal is virtually unprecedented in the outdoors community here. Friendships have been strained, trust has been lost, and a typically unified interest group has been bitterly divided. I don't know in my tenure that I've ever seen an issue that has divided the conservation community like this one. But at stake in the debate is not whether public land in Colorado Springs should be preserved. It's how and by whom. With a strong conservative and libertarian base, Colorado Springs and El Paso County have some of the lowest taxes in the country. And with little money in public coffers to pay for the acquisition and upkeep of public lands, the city has often looked to the private sector for solutions. But now, critics are asking, has the city gone too far? From KRCC in Colorado Springs, this is Wish We Were Here, tales and investigations from the shadows of America's mountain. I'm Jake Brownell. And I'm Noel Black. On this episode of Wish We Were Here, we look at a citywide conflict over a piece of land that sits where the prairie runs head-on into the mountains. If you had to pick one point on the map where the Midwest becomes the West, this could be it. The mythic place in the American imagination where John Wayne might pop out of a covered wagon to welcome you to freedom country. Granite walls rise above a lush evergreen forest that gives way to a small creek and a quiet meadow. There are only a handful of postcard views like this throughout Colorado Springs. Constant reminders that we live somewhere that was once untamed and is still visually spectacular, even if the postcards ignore the sprawling city just outside the frame. It's no surprise, then, that preserving these views and open spaces is one of the few things that the citizens of Colorado Springs can almost always agree on. Matt Mayberry, historian and director at the Colorado Springs Pioneers Museum, says natural beauty has been the principal attraction in Colorado Springs since its founder, General William Jackson Palmer, laid out the town in 1871. The Palmer idea for the, for the community was parks were a key part of it, part of his vision for the community as a healthy place and as an economic driver um, for a community that did not have a, a base industry um, that would attract employees and, and um, employers. Um, and so from the very beginning, Antlers Park, um, Acacia Park, um, Alamo Square Park, where the museum is, um, were all part of that vision. General Palmer's vision was carried forward in the early 1900s by the patronage of Spencer Penrose, an aristocrat from Philadelphia who made a fortune out west in various mining and business concerns. Far more flamboyant than the teetotaling Palmer, however, Penrose saw the mountain landscape as a kind of playground for a growing number of tourists who came out west to be wowed by the vistas. Among his many projects, he built a highway to the top of Pikes Peak and a zoo on the side of Cheyenne Mountain. He also built the world-famous Broadmoor Hotel, a five-star resort and golf club. They're all related to this idea of tourism, 
A lot of it is related to the idea of the automobile, the rise of the automobile. He's injecting this money and these, this infrastructure into the community. I think of Penrose as taking over from Palmer. So he's, he follows Palmer after Palmer's death. He, I mean, he's already on the stage by that time, but he's, he's adding all of these components um, to a community envisioned by another man. From the time Penrose built it in 1918, the Broadmoor Hotel and its owners made the natural beauty and open space of the Pikes Peak region part of the resort's allure. The Broadmoor, one of America's finest hotels, rises in splendor from the foot of Cheyenne Mountain. Conceived and built by the late Spencer Penrose, the Broadmoor attracts visitors the world over. And there was so much open space and so many spectacular views, it was hard to imagine they would ever run out. Even so, much of the most prized land in the city was protected early on. The North Cheyenne Canyon area, including Strawberry Fields, was purchased by the city in 1885. Pikes Peak and much of the surrounding wilderness was originally set aside for protection in 1892 and became part of the Pike National Forest with the creation of the National Forest System in 1905. The Garden of the Gods, with its hulking spires of red sandstone, still considered one of the greatest city parks in the United States, was given to the people of Colorado Springs in 1909. But over the course of the 20th century, as the city continued to grow, land in and around the city got gobbled up exponentially. Just after World War II, the military took over more than 50,000 acres of undeveloped land along the Front Range to build Fort Carson, the Air Force Academy, and NORAD the military command bunker inside Cheyenne Mountain. Development exploded during the 1980s and again in the 90s. Much of it sprawled out east toward the plains, but higher-end homes began to crowd up into unprotected land against the mountains. Like many other mountain towns, Colorado Springs has been forced to figure out how to accommodate newcomers drawn by the city's natural beauty, while also protecting that beauty from the pressures of overdevelopment and increased use. I do think it defines us when people come here for a short period of time and then they say, oh, I've got to come back. I've got to work here. I've got to retire here. I think it is for those public assets, for those amazing views, um, for those mountains, those open spaces, those, those, those amazing miles and miles of trails that we have. Absolutely, I do think it defines us. This is Susan Davies, the executive director of the Trails and Open Space Coalition, or TOSC. TOSC is a nonprofit organization that advocates for trails and open space in the Pikes Peak region. They aren't part of the government, they're a separate nonprofit, but they're often called to make recommendations about how to spend money raised from a 1997 tax that's called TOPS, or Trails, Open Space, and Parks. TOPS is a 0.1% sales tax, or one penny for every $10 spent in the city. It was considered something of a miracle when it passed in the late 90s, given the strong base of tax-averse voters here. So when it did pass, it was seen as a clear indication that even voters in conservative Colorado Springs see the intrinsic value in open space. But even so, the money available to the city to acquire and maintain open space is limited. We have one of the smallest TOPS programs up and down the Front Range. I mean, over in Douglas County, it's 0.18. Um, you know, Larimer County is 0.25. So we are very small, and we are very limited what we can do. And this is leaving aside the issue of the city's tiny Parks Department budget. As of 2015, the Parks Department had almost $300 million worth of unfunded projects on its books. So for those tasked with maintaining and expanding the city's park system, securing open space has often meant looking for partnerships, deals, and creative ways of financing these projects. 
Which brings us to the current proposal to trade Strawberry Fields to the Broadmoor Hotel. To put the deal in its simplest terms, the city wants a number of pieces of land that the Broadmoor owns. The Broadmoor, in return, wants two pieces of land that the city owns. Several years ago, the two parties began talking about a land swap, a term you'll hear a lot throughout this piece. Here's Karen Palace, the parks director for Colorado Springs. Well, um, a little over a year ago, we had been um, reviewing our master plan, and um, we sat down with the Broadmoor about some key um, trail connections um, related to our Chamberlain Trail, which is one of the um, key connections we're trying to make around Cheyenne Canyon. The Chamberlain Trail is an ambitious, roughly 20-mile project that seeks to connect dozens of trails along the edge of the city in the western foothills. Here's Susan Davies. So the Chamberlain Trail is is one day going to be this amazing mountain trail that is going to take you from Blodgett Peak Open Space, which is kind of, it is in the extreme northwestern corner of our city, through Garden of the Gods, through Red Rock, through Stratton, through Cheyenne Canyon, and then all the way to Cheyenne Mountain State Park. The Chamberlain Trail has been a long-term goal of the Parks Department since it was first envisioned in 1983. But because some of the key pieces would have to cross private land, the bulk of the work in creating the trail so far has consisted of buying land or securing public easements from landowners. And there are certain pieces we've just not been able to secure because people don't want to trail in their backyard or people wouldn't want to sell the property or whatever. But there are a couple of easements that are on the far south side of this trail that I know park staff have worked on on for a very long time. Some of those pieces are owned by the Broadmoor, which is why the Parks Department first approached the hotel. The Parks Department uh, came to talk to us about uh, further enhancing easement opportunities for expansion of the trail network for the city parks department. This is Jack DeMoli, president of the Broadmoor Hotel. He says that Strawberry Fields quickly emerged as a bargaining chip and a potential trade for the land the city wanted. Remember, Strawberry Fields is situated not even a mile west of the Broadmoor Hotel. It's also right next to Seven Falls, a gated tourist attraction in South Cheyenne Canyon that the Broadmoor recently bought and renovated. DeMoli says that the Broadmoor had recently learned that the city was considering turning part of Strawberry Fields into a downhill mountain biking park, and they weren't thrilled about the prospect. Now, I'm a mountain biker. I love, I love mountain bikes. But I really didn't think a downhill BMX park was appropriate for that piece of, of land, and for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a, it's a beautiful parcel. Uh, number two, it's, it's near our, our newest investment at, at uh, Seven Falls. And, you know, we've put a lot of money into that facility. And to have something isolated like a downhill BMX park potential there just didn't seem logical. As we looked at the, at the parcel, it really is a pretty piece of land, but it does need a lot of help. So truly, our, our first engagement has been about conservation, has been about the land. It is about, you know, making sure that this parcel gets the tender, loving care that it needs. And quite frankly, it needs some, some help and some resources. But it wasn't just a desire to keep mountain bikers off the property or simply to preserve it, to mitigate fire danger, or to maintain the neglected park out of sheer neighborly goodwill. The Broadmoor had also been looking for a parcel of land close to the hotel where they could build a horse stable for its guests. In December of 2014, the Broadmoor spent a million dollars on an 8.6-acre parcel of land adjacent to Bear Creek Park, a county-owned park just a few miles north of the hotel. Here's Pam Zubek, senior reporter for the Colorado Springs Independent Newspaper. They proposed to build a stable 
operation there for re- for their guests uh, to then ride into Bear Creek Regional Park. They had already sealed uh, a lease with the county for use of the park for trail rides. Um, that didn't even require elected official approval, as it turned out, and that stirred people up a little bit. Um, but they ultimately, again, withdrew that, saying at the time that they had done additional market research and that their guests were more interested in a um, in what they would call a, a wilderness experience. Wilderness experience has been a catchphrase at the Broadmoor for the past several years, since they opened a property called the Ranch at Emerald Valley on the backside of Cheyenne Mountain, as well as a lodge near the top of Cheyenne Mountain called Cloud Camp at the former site of Spencer Penrose's Cheyenne Mountain Lodge, which closed down in 1961. Just a short ride up the mountain from the Broadmoor, a unique, unforgettable experience awaits you. The Broadmoor's Ranch at Emerald Valley combines the rustic charm and inspiration of a wilderness enclave with the incomparable luxury and service of the Broadmoor, America's premier resort. With the popularity of these wilderness experiences, as they call them, the Broadmoor has been looking to expand its offerings, and Strawberry Fields presented an opportunity to kill three birds with one stone. First, a boutique riding stable with access to land for wilderness trail rides. Second, a picnic and wedding pavilion for catered outdoor events. And third, having another spectacular natural amenity to offer their guests, not a stone's throw from the hotel. Here's Jack DeMoli explaining the Broadmoor's interest in strawberry fields to the Colorado Springs City Council at a meeting on May 9th. I think we got into this for the right reasons, conservation, land stewardship. We also believe this is something that is good for the Broadmoor. We're looking for an opportunity to have a natural picnic facility for our guests to experience Colorado wilderness. And with that, that's why I think we're in this. In addition to everything else that we're gonna do to assist the community to have more open spaces, more trails, and again, the preservation of this beautiful piece of property. For its part, the Broadmoor was willing to offer more land than it would get in the deal. In the deal, the Broadmoor would get from the city the 189 acres of strawberry fields and a half acre parking lot at the base of the incline in Manitou Springs. In exchange, the city would receive the 8.6 acres next to Bear Creek Park, where the Broadmoor had originally planned to build the stables. The city would also receive three easements for the Chamberlain Trail and a remote 208-acre property on the far western side of Cheyenne Canyon Park, an area known as Mount Muskoko. And finally, the city would receive 155 acres that intersect one of the most popular recreation sites in the entire Pikes Peak region, the Manitou Incline. For proponents, the incline is one of the central pieces of the puzzle of this deal. If you've never been there, the incline is essentially a steep, mile-long staircase that shoots up the side of Mount Manitou at the base of Pikes Peak in a straight line. And it's really, really popular. First few steps. This audio is from an incline video uploaded by YouTube user Smile Today, Tears Tomorrow. There are hundreds of videos like this documenting people's steep journeys to the top of the incline. It's basically all steps. Here's Ryan Johnson, president of the nonprofit Friends of the Manitou Incline. The incline, as you probably know, used to be an incline railway. Um, it was a tourist destination, kind of like the cog for 
many, many years, since the early 1900s when it was built, uh, to help build the uh, hydroelectric plant and the pipeline that feeds that plant. Uh, after the plant was constructed and the pipeline was built, it was sold and uh, used as a tourist destination. Kind of had declining usage uh, through the later half of the 20th century. Uh, so it was kind of becoming a money sink. Uh, it was owned by uh, the folks who owned the Broadmoor. Uh, so they decided to demolish the uh, Summit House, remove all the tracks, left all the ties to kind of help prevent erosion, uh, keep the, uh, the maintain this hillside right there above uh, Manitou. Uh, and about the same time, hardcore athletic enthusiasts who were training for the Pikes Peak Marathon in Ascent decided, you know what, this would be a great place to work out. Johnson estimates that there are now 350,000 trips up the incline every year. Fitness enthusiasts from around the world make pilgrimages to Colorado Springs just to test their endurance on the grueling trail. But management of the incline has been a challenge. That's because it's owned by three different entities, the Broadmoor, the Forest Service, and Colorado Springs Utilities. The public is granted access thanks to conditional use permits and easements, but the arrangement can make decision-making difficult. There is so much red tape to deal with the different landowners. The incline's popularity has come with other problems as well. Most people don't descend the staircase, but use Bar Trail, the switchback hiking trail next to the incline, to descend. And those who can't make it to the top are forced to exit on social trails that connect to Bar Trail. And even though the city doesn't own the incline, it's already had to invest $2 million in upkeep. Here's Ryan Johnson again. The problem is so many people now are pounding down Bar Trail that it's eroding very quickly. Also, the, the type of people that do the incline may not understand trail etiquette, not cutting switchbacks, how they can cause erosion when they do that. So Bar Trail is eroding really quickly and deteriorating really rapidly. Johnson says that the Friends of the Incline have long been looking at ways to alleviate pressure on Bar Trail and create an alternative northern route down from the top of the incline. However, he says, the patchwork of property ownership around the incline has made trail planning virtually impossible. Johnson says he was excited to hear that the Broadmoor was willing to trade some of the land they would need to build a new trail. He's spoken publicly in support of the proposed land swap. If uh, the Collar Springs um, was able to have complete ownership and management of that land that a significant portion of the incline lies on, it would be able to speed up the process of building this northern trail, ultimately making the incline more sustainable, which is at the heart of our mission. So let's recap the land swap, if you're just counting the land. In the trade, the Broadmoor would get 189 acres of undeveloped city park property at Strawberry Fields. Plus, it would get a half-acre parking lot near the base of the incline, which it already leases from the city. The city, for its part, would get 155 acres surrounding one of the most popular outdoor fitness destinations in Colorado, three easements for a 20-mile-long trail along the edge of the foothills, 208 acres of fairly remote wilderness with a mountaintop lookout, and 8.6 acres of residentially zoned land sandwiched between a neighborhood and a county park. On its face, the whole thing seems like a pretty straightforward deal. But not everyone is so sure. This is terrible, terrible politics. This is Wish We Were Here. Stay with us.
From KRCC in Colorado Springs, this is Wish We Were Here, tales and investigations from the shadows of America's mountain. I'm Jake Brownell. And I'm Noel Black. On this episode, we're telling the story of the struggle over the ownership of a park at the edge of the mountains in Colorado Springs. For some, it's a story about a fairly straightforward land exchange between the city and the privately owned Broadmoor Hotel, in which everyone benefits. For others, it's about the soul of the city and the sanctity of public land over private interests. Within a matter of weeks after the land swap proposal was unveiled at a parks board meeting on January 14, 2016, a loosely organized opposition group began to form. Neighbors began to voice their concerns in the press and at public hearings about the deal. A petition opposing the trade began to circulate. To date, that petition has over 5,000 signatures. Ken Obi, a retired diplomat who has lived in the Cheyenne Canyon area for 20 years, remembers when he first heard about the deal in early February. I was appalled. <laughs> Obi had something of a second career in open space administration after retiring from the Foreign Service in the 1990s. He served as chair of the Colorado Springs TOPS Working Committee, the body that determines how to spend tax money allocated for purchasing new public land. He also served as chair of the Colorado Springs Parks Advisory Board. When he heard about the land swap proposal, he was serving on the advisory council of the Trails and Open Space Coalition. He says he couldn't believe that the city would contemplate trading away a piece of publicly owned parkland. Well, it's a big deal in part because I think that public land is held in trust by the city. And I'd go back to the fact that I think you know, it belongs to all of us. And if they were going to put it on the bargaining table, I think they should have gone to the real owners first and said, you know, do you think this is a good idea? And instead, we got presented with essentially a fait accompli and we're, we're being asked to uh, just go along with it. Obi had never spent much time at Strawberry Fields before hearing of the deal. He says he normally hikes at nearby Stratton Open Space, a park that was saved from development in the late 1990s. Obi says he was deeply involved in that effort which is what got him into the politics of open space in the first place. He has since been involved in efforts to protect numerous other open spaces in the city. I am basically in favor of saving open space anywhere we can. And I've, I've, I've sort of joked in the last couple months, you know, only in Colorado Springs would you have to save a place twice. You know, we saved it in 1885, and here we are again having to try to save it, you know, from ourselves and from the Broadmoor. When you talk to critics of the land exchange, this last point is one that comes up a lot. The people of Colorado Springs have already been through a fight over the land in Cheyenne Canyon, and they won. In the late 1800s, Cheyenne Canyon was a popular area for Colorado Springs residents looking to escape the warmer temperatures in town. The canyon had a creek running through it, cool rock walls, and shade, and it was only an hour from town by horse and buggy. At the time, Cheyenne Canyon, which included the land that's now Strawberry Fields, was called Colorado College Park. It was owned by a land speculation company started by the second president of Colorado College, a man named Edward Tenney. For a long time, access to the land had been free, but in the 1880s, the college fell on hard times, and that changed. Pioneers Museum director Matt Mayberry explains. It is a part of a, a way to kind of protect the asset and the, the investment they put in the, in the Colorado College Park they put a gate at the entrance to the canyons and they started charging admission. And I think it was 25 cents a person to get in. Um, and the citizens were outraged by that. For Sue Spengler, an opponent of the land swap who lives in the Cheyenne Canyon area, 
A July 30, 1884 editorial that ran in the Gazette newspaper rings just as true today as it did then. The city was just beginning to um, try and buy this land. And the Gazette wrote, um, and I hope we never have to write these words again. Both North and South Cheyenne Canyons are owned by private parties, and their beauty can be viewed and comforts enjoyed only by the payment of tolls. Our most beautiful scenery is now no longer as free as the air. This was our boast. We had the free enjoyment of these beautiful resorts so long that we did not realize their value until they were taken from us. We now feel the need of them and see the mistake of ever allowing them to become private property. The city eventually put the issue to a vote, and in 1885, the people of Colorado Springs elected to purchase 640 acres of Cheyenne Canyon, including Strawberry Fields, for just over $5,000. Matt Mayberry again. It passed by a vote of 254 in favor and uh, 32 opposed. And this was at a time when Colorado Springs was, had a population of about 8,000. For Sue Spengler, along with many other opponents of the deal, Understanding this history is vital when considering the current proposal to trade strawberry fields to the Broadmoor. We got this land after a vote of the people in 1885 who worked really hard to get it so that people wouldn't have to pay a toll to come up here. Why would we want to go backwards? It's like going backwards. To be sure, the Broadmoor is not talking about putting a toll gate on strawberry fields. The arrangement is much more complicated than that. In fact, they say that much of the property under the proposed deal would remain open to the public, but we'll get to that later. For opponents like Spengler, Obie, and Richard Scorman, the specifics of the deal are trumped by a more fundamental question. This land was purchased by a vote of the people to be forever preserved and protected for the benefit of the public. If it's going to be sold or traded, shouldn't it be put once again to a vote of the people? Here's Richard Scorman again. Really, a lot of it relates back to the original intent of the voters. Uh, we think at the very least it should go back to the voters before uh, anything is traded. And you don't want to set that precedent of trading away or selling public land uh, that was purchased by the voters without voter approval to sell it. The fact that the city negotiated the deal as a land swap with the Broadmoor means that, technically speaking, no money is being exchanged. From the city's perspective, that means that the proposal doesn't need to go to a full vote of the people. It only needs city council's approval and, ultimately, the signature of the mayor. But the fact that the deal was set up as a swap has also fueled suspicions among critics that there's something sneaky going on, or that the Broadmoor and the city know that the voters wouldn't support the exchange. In fact, a yet unreleased poll funded by TOPS Advocates, which was shared with KRCC recently, seems to support the idea that voters might not approve the deal. Among a sample of 400 randomly selected Colorado Springs residents, 55% of respondents said they'd heard of the land swap. Of those who'd heard of the deal, 60% said they opposed it. However, to be clear, 45% of the total respondents said they didn't know enough about the deal to take a position. Another point of skepticism among opponents is the city's valuation of strawberry fields. Some suspect that it's worth much more than the land the Broadmoor is offering in return and it didn't help matters when the city initially declined to release the full appraisals for public scrutiny. Again, here's reporter Pam Zubek from the Colorado Springs Independent. First of all, the city had uh, informed the public that they would release the appraisals on March 30th, public meeting, uh, Gold Camp Elementary School. What they released was the values. They didn't release the appraisals themselves. 
The city appraisals valued the 189 acres at Strawberry Fields at roughly $1.5 million. The parking lot near the incline that the city would give to the Broadmoor was valued near $600,000. So that makes the total value of the land going to the Broadmoor approximately $2.1 million. Meanwhile, the combined value of the parcels that the city would receive in return from the Broadmoor was said to be $3.6 million. The Independent filed a Colorado Open Records Act request for the complete land appraisals after the city refused to release them. They denied our request and cited a portion of the Open Records Act that says the custodian may deny access. It's not a shall, it's not a mandate, but may deny access for this following category, and one of those being appraisals. Uh, if it is not in the public interest to do so. So the city was essentially saying it's not in the public interest to release these appraisals. I don't know what there's, I, I still don't understand their reasoning for why it was not in the public interest. Um, and I don't know that the city has ever completely explained why it was not in the public interest. An opponent named Kathy Meinig also filed an open records request and was denied. She hired an attorney and filed a complaint against the city, alleging a violation of the Colorado Open Records Act. Eventually, the city did release the full appraisals on May 4th, just two days before the complaint was scheduled for a hearing in court. The city said at the time that they were waiting for the results of a third-party review, but that they always planned on making the documents public. As we have promised, we are releasing all appraisal documents prepared for the proposed land exchange. Once the appraisals were out in the public, opponents raised even more questions. Why had Strawberry Fields been appraised as a park, depressing its market value when its intended use would be at least partially commercial? If the Broadmoor was planning to use even a small portion of the land for riding facilities and a wedding venue, shouldn't that land have been appraised commercially? Some estimated that the Strawberry Fields land could be worth tens of millions had it been appraised commercially instead of as a park. Here's Colorado Springs City Council member Bill Murray, an outspoken critic of the deal. We, we find ourselves in a rather unique situation. Okay, we, we are trading property, which we have undervalued deliberately. I mean, this is, no one in his right mind would negotiate this way except for, the, for a city government. Though both the city and the Broadmoor seem to have complied with all legal requirements outlined in the city's own real estate manual the city's reluctance to release the appraisals had already raised questions about transparency. And on top of that, opponents of the deal insist that the city has not taken their concerns about the process seriously. Transparency is a big issue. Uh, they actually had to, um, the citizens were contacting me, the press was contacting me about the lack of transparency. And it's only a threatened court case that uh, brought this thing to, to a head which, where everybody saw the appraisals and, and they're terrible. Adding to the mounting list of tensions was a growing disagreement within the open space advocacy community over the deal. The nonprofit Trails and Open Space Coalition announced early in the process that it could support the land swap deal if the Broadmoor would agree to a number of conditions. Perhaps most significantly, they asked that the Broadmoor put a conservation easement on strawberry fields. A conservation easement, if done right, could guarantee that strawberry fields remain publicly accessible forever. So a, a conservation easement at its core is a legal tool. This is Rebecca Jewett, 
executive director of the Palmer Land Trust, a nonprofit organization in Colorado Springs dedicated to preserving open land, including parklands, open space, ranches, and other private property. It stands out for two primary reasons. The first is that it stays with the land, regardless of land ownership. Um, So once a conservation easement is placed on a property, that property can be transferred, sold, inherited, and the conservation easement will run with the land. The second thing that stands out about a conservation easement is that is it is in perpetuity, which means that regardless of what happens with the property, the conservation easement will stay in place forever. In the proposed exchange, Palmer Land Trust, which is neutral on the deal, would be the entity upholding the conservation easement. Once the easement is in place, we have a perpetual obligation and responsibility to uphold it. It is a legal responsibility that we hold. Um, For the most part, we try to work with our landowner partners to ensure the terms of the conservation easement are being followed. However, our ultimate authority is that we can take legal action to require that the easement terms be upheld. So far, the Broadmoor has agreed to the conservation easement for all but nine acres. Those remaining nine acres, located in the meadow at Strawberry Fields, would be placed in what is called a building envelope, where the Broadmoor could build its stables and picnic pavilions. Additionally, as it stands now, both the envelope and the land under conservation easement would be zoned as parkland, meaning any development plans would have to be approved by the Parks Board. The Broadmoor has said they would only use three acres of that building envelope for their facilities. But to the dismay of opponents, they have not yet released full development plans for the property. For Susan Davies and the board of TOSC, the Broadmoor's willingness to put the vast majority of the 189-acre strawberry fields under such a conservation easement felt like a win-win. Not only would the city be gaining valuable open space, easements on the Chamberlain Trail, and a segment of the Manitou Incline, but Strawberry Fields would continue to be accessible to the public in perpetuity. Strawberry Hill will never be townhouses, will never be a golf course, will never be anything but, especially with the conservation easement, park-like property, except for that one, you know, eight-acre building envelope. So I know that you're going to talk to people. I know there are people that believe it's worth millions and millions of dollars. Yes, if it were ever going to be turned into houses or hotels or anything, it would be worth millions and millions. But given the zoning that it's under and the zoning it will ever be under, I don't know how you make that argument. But Tosk's willingness to bargain away even a few acres for the development of a stable and pavilions in the meadow and to allow the Broadmoor to own strawberry fields, regardless of easements, was too much for opponents like Obie and Scorman. Both of them were on the Trails and Open Space Advisory Council when the decision was made. Obie resigned in protest. Richard Scorman was asked to resign after circulating a statement that he could never trust Tosk again. I just don't think we can have somebody on our advisory council that says he'll never trust us again and is willing to say that publicly. That doesn't make sense to me. Even as organizations like Tosk and Friends of the Incline came out in support of the deal, opponents raised more questions. Did the city even want the land that the Broadmoor was offering? Mount Muskoko, which makes up 205 acres of the 371 that the Broadmoor was offering, is difficult to access. And, according to Kent Obi, it pales in comparison to Strawberry Fields, which is easily accessible from the nearby roads and parking lots in Cheyenne Canyon. I went in there a couple of weeks ago. We, walked, we hiked for an hour and a half even to get to the edge of it. It's 208 acres of right now Broadmoor owned land. It was part of the original Seven Falls parcel. It is the farthest and most remote. 
It's the one I think, frankly, that they're happiest to get rid of. It's, it's, it's simply a, a liability for them, you know, in terms of things like tussock moths, fire danger, what have you. And so they unload that. We give them this wonderful, immediately close interface land. And that, that's, I think, not right. Opponents of the deal also raise the issue of maintenance. If the city doesn't even have the money to take care of strawberry fields as it is, how could it maintain all the additional land it would gain in the deal? And the questions kept coming. Why did the city need to own a parcel of the incline to which it already had access? And what about an environmental study in the meadow? When would that happen? And why couldn't the city council vote wait until that was done? Why rush? What was the big hurry? We should have a public process. We should get the bikers, the hikers, the, the friends of Cheyenne Canyon, the people that live in the neighborhood, the Broadmoor, all the stakeholders involved to sit down and let's say, what is the best thing for the public in this? How do the Broadmoor's plans fit into it? The way this whole process has been structured, it's the opposite. Give it to the Broadmoor, let's see where the Broadmoor will let the public be and let's beg and plead and see if they'll put a conservation easement on it, if they'll give the public access to the meadow. And they won't even be required to put their site plan together until well after the deal is done. Then, beyond all these concerns, opponents worry, what kind of precedent will it set for the city to open the doors for private interests to own public lands? The Broadmoor on their own website says they are, quote, situated on 5,000 acres of lush parkland on the southern edge of the Rocky Mountains. Here's Ken Obi. And uh, if you then look at the city's own figures on their open space, city open space is about the same amount, roughly 5,000 acres, you know, give or take a few hundred. And so here you have a, a private corporation that owns basically as much of our land as, you know, we, the 400,000 plus citizens own. And, and this, is, again, is one of the reasons why I think this is, is a bad deal. It's going in the wrong direction. This is Wish We Were Here. Stay with us. Welcome back to Wish We Were Here. I'm Jake Brownell. And I'm Noel Black. On this episode of Wish We Were Here, we're trying to do something a little bit tricky. We're trying to tell a story that's still happening. It's a story of a deeply divisive dispute over a small piece of undeveloped parkland that's brought up much larger issues about public trust, corporate interests, and how we pay for what we love in this community. In the last segment of the show, we gave a partial overview of some of the many concerns that opponents to this deal have outlined. In this next segment, we'll look at the arguments in favor of the deal. Good evening, President Bennett, President Pro Tem, Gabler, and, uh, and the city council members. Thank you. Jack DeMoli, president of the Broadmoor, is tall, reserved, snappily dressed, and even tempered by any standard. He's been poised and largely unruffled in his presentations at the many public hearings and meetings since the plan was first unveiled in January. You know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about here tonight is the fact that uh, there are budgetary constraints. There are things that are standing in the way of taking care of pieces of property and land. But now, many months into the public process, DeMoli has begun to show signs of frustration with what he believes is a deep misunderstanding of the Broadmoor's good intentions for strawberry fields in the land swap. 
I, I think it's unfortunate that the, the Broadmoor has been villainized by a few individuals that that are concerned that their private dog walking area is going to be, you know, somehow compromised. And uh, I, I think that's unfortunate. And uh, the, the Broadmoor has been a institution in Colorado Springs for 97 years, soon to be 98 years. And the the impact of the Broadmoor on this community uh, in a very positive way with employment, with taxes, you name it, and on, on various levels uh, has been remarkable over the years. And I think it's unfortunate that a few short-sighted individuals are, are trying to demonize the Broadmoor in this process. Proponents of the deal often refer to the Broadmoor's history in Colorado Springs and its long track record of taking immaculate care of the properties it owns. It is a five-star hotel, after all. To Demoli and other supporters, this is one of the chief selling points of the deal. The Colorado Springs Parks Department has freely admitted that it lacks the funds to do the necessary erosion control, fire mitigation, and trail work on Strawberry Fields. The Broadmoor says that if it takes control of Strawberry Fields, the hotel would be happy to foot the bill to take care of the park. Again, the Broadmoor has agreed to place a conservation easement on 180 of the 189 acres. And they claim that under the conservation easement, any trails they develop on the land would be open and accessible to the public. In essence, the Broadmoor, a for-profit hotel, is offering to take over for the Parks Department as stewards of strawberry fields. So we're able to come forward and help and uh, and develop the property into a healthy environment versus its unhealthy environment now with the erosion, the fire mitigation that needs to occur, the cleaning up of the property where there are mattresses and sofas and all kinds of trash, debris, and litter, um, camps that have been uh, abandoned uh, as people have used those for either temporary weekend accommodations or, quite frankly, individuals living there. Um, we'll be able to kind of clean that up and also reforest that edge of the property near Old Stage Road to create better habitat for wildlife. So if we're able to do that and then turn it back over so the public can have access, we ask for them to respect it, but to have access to that, boy, that seems like a win-win situation, both for the public, for the city, and for the Broadmoor. Opponents have argued that the Broadmoor has overstated the trash and maintenance problems at the park, but most people agree that Strawberry Fields is underdeveloped compared to the many other parks in the region. Again, it has no formal trails and no signage, which is likely part of the reason why only a handful of neighbors even knew it existed prior to January of this year. Opponents see this as a reason to delay the deal, to give the public a chance to raise the funds to develop the park while it's still a public park, now that there's so much more awareness of the land. But supporters point to the lengths to which the Broadmoor seems willing to go to guarantee public access to the property and to pay for its upkeep. Why turn them down when the money saved could be spent elsewhere in the park system? Susan Davies, head of the Trails and Open Space Coalition, says that in this instance, forming a public-private partnership serves the greater good. Our mission is about preserving open space and parks, creating a network of trails. This connects trails. This preserves more open space. This allows for public access. When you get right down to it, we're talking about seven to nine acres. And when you look at the entire proposal, you ha- we felt as an organization we needed to look at it as a system, not just focus in on those seven to nine acres. Here's Broadmoor President Jack DeMoli putting an even finer point on it. When you look at the totality of the exchange, 
we are giving the Parks Department and the city 668 acres. We receive nine acres. These numbers include the trail easements for the Chamberlain Trail, the land that the Broadmoor will trade to the city, as well as the 180 acres of strawberry fields that will be held in a conservation easement. Again, it's hard to argue where sheer volume of land is concerned, that it's a bad deal for the city. But if anything has become clear over the past five months, it's that this isn't just about land or good deals. In many ways, it's about principles and ideals versus pragmatism and fiscal realities. Susan Davies of the Trails and Open Space Coalition, who favors the deal, says she understands the objections to giving up public land. But in a city with a chronically underfunded parks department, she sees the need for creative solutions. I know that there are people that are really hung up on the whole piece of our name should be on that, even if with a conservation easement, which means it will be park forever, with all use forever, our name, Colorado Springs, should be on that deed of ownership, and we should never, ever, ever sell a piece of park. And I respect that. That is a philosophical, you know, that's, that's straight to the heart of this. I know that for a lot of people, and I can completely respect. On the other hand, we're the organization that goes month after month to these parks boards meeting, where little groups come in and say, we would love to do this in our park, and the parks board has to say, yeah, find your own money. Or... Parks asks for $19 million in capital improvements, and they got $75,000. I mean, we hear those conversations on and on. So when someone comes in and said, we're going to take care of this the way it should be taken care of, plus we're going to give you this, 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 and this, plus you're going to be able to finally build a trail that has been on the book since the early 80s, because now you're going to have the property to do it, and it's not going to cost you any money. You know, from a mission standpoint, we say... This sounds really good. For better or worse, the idea of turning to a private enterprise to help sustain a public resource is in keeping with a long tradition of patronage in Colorado Springs. Matt Mayberry, director of the Colorado Springs Pioneers Museum, explains. We have had an extraordinary number of wealthy benefactors in this community that have given us so much of our adopted infrastructure, you know, that all this, all the resources that we have, we've relied on other people to, to make those things possible. And I think that's one of the things that's extraordinary about Colorado Springs, whether it's Palmer or Stratton or Penrose or others who have found ways for us to have all, you know, thousands of acres of land available to us. Many in city government here seem to feel comfortable with this legacy of public-private partnerships. Proponents of the land exchange often cite the Visitor Center at the Garden of the Gods, which was built and owned by local developer and philanthropist Lida Hill. After a small land swap at the eastern edge of the Garden of the Gods, it opened in 1994. The for-profit Visitor Center has since given profits to a foundation that helps pay for the maintenance of our most visited and treasured city park. To date, it's raised well over $2 million. According to Parks Director Karen Pallas, the Strawberry Fields deal is just the latest in a series of public-private partnerships that have proven beneficial to the public. We have the, the Garden of the Gods Visitor Center. We have Aramark that runs all of our concession up at top of Pikes Peak. We have private riding stables at two of our other regional parks. So it's a very similar type of scenario. In fact, we've done some of these land exchanges over the years that, again, work towards the common overall good of the community by improving our park system. 
But opponents argue that the Broadmoor land swap is bigger and more dramatic than anything the city's done to date. In Colorado Springs, City Councilman Bill Murray, a critic of the deal, sees public-private partnerships as a slippery slope. It goes through every environment. We can sell a sewer system, you know, we can sell the, I don't care what it is, uh, a Pioneer's Museum, because somebody else can take better care of it. it the, the argument just falls completely apart when you structurally look at it. For his part, Richard Scorman does concede that the Broadmoor will likely be a good partner in this deal. They are a five-star resort with a distinct business interest in taking care of the land in their own backyard. Uh, they've been a great steward. They've been a great partner in all kinds of uh, arenas. And, and Anschutz has been very philanthropic. The El Pomar Foundation, when they own the Broadmoor, uh, has been very philanthropic in the community. And, and so we, we think that they're a good partner, a good business partner. We just don't think this is a good deal. For Scorman, no matter the Broadmoor's intentions, and regardless of how good a community partner they may be, he believes there are other ways to achieve the Parks Department's goals. And he doesn't want to see the city giving or trading away public land. He thinks the public should have more time to consider the full value of strawberry fields and weigh all the options before the deal is voted on by city council. The Broadmoor isn't even planning to build anything this summer. It's a, there, there's no rush. I just can't understand why uh, we're not slowing this down. I, we're not getting it from anybody, council, the mayor, the uh, Broadmoor, the park staff. And that's all we're asking. We're begging and pleading, slow it down. Let's f- see what the public would uh, 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 be able to enjoy out of this. And let's uh, let the Broadmoor be a partner. Needless to say, this deal, for as simple as it may appear on paper, is not simple. But what's clear on all sides of the debate over what seems on the surface to be about strawberry fields is this. Colorado Springs is a city full of people that care deeply about parks and open space. And that's the irony of this whole situation, says Susan Davies of the Trails and Open Space Coalition. They want people to get involved in protecting open space. It's exciting, she says, that so many people have taken an interest in this deal, even if they disagree with Tosk's support of it. But she does worry that the passion this issue has inspired could be outweighed by the rift it's created in the community. What gives me sleepless nights is the concern that all these people that are so passionate about this, and if it goes forward, they could be so angry about losing that they may not be able to see the the bigger picture. And, And when a group like Tosk or others go forward and ask people to support a ballot initiative or now let's do something meaningful, Perhaps out of spite, they'll say, yeah, forget it. You know, you disappointed me last time. You didn't side with me. We're not going to support you on this. And, and that really creates pain for me. And, but what can I do? I mean, my board has said to do this. We feel this is a rational approach. We have to live with that. Kent Obi, who's been active in open space advocacy in Colorado Springs for the last two decades, disagrees with Davies about the deal. But he shares her concerns about the community. It has split the trails, open space, parks community in a way that I've not seen in 20 years. And, and it, it really, it, it's just unfortunate because, you know, we should all be working together, frankly, to uh, try to increase spending for the parks department to do a better job of taking care of what we have. And I think all the divisiveness that's come out of this land swap is going to be injurious to that effort and, you know, to doing a lot of other things that, frankly, we should be working on.
In a 2014 study conducted by the Colorado Springs Parks and Recreation Department that was cited in their Parks Master Plan that same year, respondents were asked to choose, quote, two things you like most about living in Colorado Springs. The top two choices were the outdoor setting with 65% and recreation opportunities with 43%. People love the natural views and open spaces of the Pikes Peak region, and yet the city has a bare-bones parks budget and one of the lowest tops taxes of any community along Colorado's front range. City Council is scheduled to vote on the land swap proposal on Tuesday, May 24th. And regardless of the outcome, this is just one issue in a growing region full of increasing demands for parks and open space. How we pay for these spaces we love will likely remain up for debate for many years to come. Wish We Were Here is a production of KRCC Public Radio, Southern Colorado's NPR station. To see photos and video of Strawberry Fields, head over to krcc.org. Many thanks to KRCC Programming Director Jeff Bury, News Director Andrea Chalfin, and General Manager Tammy Terwelp. Thanks also to Adam Hawkins of the band Eros and the Eschaton, who composed and recorded all the music for this episode. Full disclosure, Pioneers Museum Director Matt Mayberry, who you heard from in this piece, is a member of the KRCC Community Advisory Board. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And while you're there, consider leaving a review. We appreciate it. For Wish We Were Here and KRCC, I'm Noel Black. And I'm Jake Brownell.